When I began here in 1987, I was the second pastor on staff. The senior pastor was a man by the name of Dr. Stephen Grunlin. Uh, Dr. Grunlin was a very organized, very precise, very uh, detailed uh, man. He had no clue what he was doing in hiring me. Uh, I was probably God's gift in this man's life to teach him patience. I must have driven him crazy. Well, I know for a fact I did on several instances, but he taught me a, a lot of different things. I know at one point I walked into his, his office and it was a particularly, he must have had a particularly hard day uh, because he was kind of staring off and I asked him, said, so what, what are you thinking? And he said, you know, there was a time when I really believed that God was going to use me to change the world. It was going to light the world on fire. I was going to be the next Billy Graham. He says, then uh, I, I got to a place where I thought, okay, maybe not the world, but my, my region. There would be revival and, and we would, I'd be used by God to spread his love in a major, major sort of way. He said, and then at one point, I, I kind of hoped it would at least affect my family. He says, but, but now I'm at a place where, where I just hope I can make it through with my faith intact. And as a, a young guy, I didn't really understand what he, he meant because, uh, of course, you can make it through with your faith intact. We're going to, yeah, I mean, uh, of course. Yes, my faith is going to continue to grow and grow and grow, and, and that, that's the way it's going to be. Uh, as, as time went on, I, I realized what he was talking about, and that is that if, in fact, you can make it to your golden years with a vibrant, living, growing faith, and that wasn't an accident. I mean, think of, the, think of the parable of the soils for a second. Parable of the soils, okay, the, the seed falls on the hard soil, and of course that's, that's removed right away. But then your, your second soils, your next two, two soils, the seed, it says, uh, sprouts. People receive the word with joy. They're so grateful, this is so great. How come I didn't see this before? Wonderful. But then something happens persecutions, temptations, suffering, God does something he's not supposed to do in their mind, something goes sideways in their life, they hit a crossroad where if they obey it's gonna be very costly, something goes on, and they crash and burn. If you, as a younger person, see a veteran in the faith, you just need to know that for every veteran in the faith, there have been dozens who have crashed and burned along the way. And so we're in a series, Veterans of the Faith, and key part of this series is trying to ascertain what does it take to be able to finish well. To be able to make it through all the stuff that life is gonna throw at us, all the, the, the warfare that hell is gonna hit us with, battling with the, our own sinful heart, how can we go through all of this and still uh, finish well? And so we had lined up different characteristics that we had seen, and today we're looking at a characteristic of forgiveness. C.S. Lewis once said about forgiveness that everybody thinks forgiveness is a great idea until they have to give it, right? Right? Because, see, when, when you grant me forgiveness, it's like, well, you know, you're supposed to do that. And, of course, because my, my motivation was right, and I really didn't mean well, and I was having a bad day, and, you know, everybody fails. But when I have to give forgiveness... 
I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is a travesty of justice. I can't do that. We can't just sweep this under the rug and we've got to be honest about this. And it takes on a different, a different appearance. But, but here's the deal. If, if our goal is to persevere, our goal is to be a, a veteran of, of the faith, to get to our golden years with a vibrant, growing, real faith, uh, we have to, I don't want to say master, maybe that's too strong of a word, but we have to chase after, we have to embrace, we have to recognize as a part of our destiny, this idea of being a forgiving person because folk are going to throw things at us. Things are going to happen. And if we do not forgive, if we are not forgivers, then our faith will become an empty, empty shell. And so we want to figure out what that means, what that looks like. And so if you've got your Bibles, if you'll turn with me, Matthew chapter 18. There's a handful of different places we could go, but I think in Matthew 18... Uh, Jesus makes it relatively clear what this whole forgiveness deal is about. And I got to tell you, there's going to be some wild things that we're going we're gonna to mention in here. So you just need to be discerning this, this morning. Don't go to sleep on me or half here or I'll be quoted improperly, I'm sure, in social media. So stick with me. Matthew 18, Jesus had just informed Peter that there will be a day when a brother will sin against you. Can you imagine that? A Christian brother is sinning against you. And so this gets Peter's attention. And in verse 21, Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now the rabbis at the day taught and they had their belief through the Old Testament, their view of the Torah, that you could forgive someone three times, that's it. You could not, could not forgive them a fourth time. And so Peter is thinking, man, I'm going to double what the rabbis say, and I'm going to throw an extra one in there for good measure, and Jesus maybe is going to look at me and say, whoa, Peter, wow, are you gracious, oh my goodness. But Jesus doesn't respond exactly like that, does he? No, because Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven, or 77 times. Now, now, Jesus is not saying, Peter, keep score here, because not seven times, it was really 70, so it's that 78th time, Peter, when they, they're done. Or, or that 491st time. See, that's too much. That's, that's too much. You've got to quit forgiving at that point. Now, what Jesus is saying here is he's kind of looking at him cockeyed, saying, what? I mean, forgiveness is not quantifiable. Like, it's not that kind of a thing. It's like asking me how many times should I love my spouse. Well, I, mean, I mean, always. Uh, you, you're a loving person or you're not. You're a forgiving person or you're not. If you, you just forgive little things, but you don't forgive something that really needs to be forgiven. I mean, what is that about? You're not. Forgiveness is something you always do. It's who you are. And then Jesus paints a, a picture for him, for us to see how this works out. And he gives us a parable. Now, let me mention this real quick on the front end. Jesus told about 45 different parables. Parables were stories he kind of made up on the spot. They're fictitious tales, kind of like Aesop's fables in this regard. His parables have, now they're inspired, so they're not Aesop's fables. They're inspired, uh, but they have a big idea that he wants to get across. 
and he fills in the details of the story to make the story work. But problem sometimes is we look at the details and we focus on them and we get all twisted and turned with the details, but the details are almost irrelevant to what he's really trying to say. So we wanna focus on what is the big idea here. That's where we wanna be. And often in the parables, always in the parables, the, the people in the parable represent someone. And usually in Jesus' parables, when he talks about a king, not always, but usually, the king is himself. Okay, so we, we got that. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, so what, big deal, right? Uh, a talent, is equal to 6,000 denarii. Oh yeah, great, okay, now you cleared it up for me. 6,000 denarii, got it. A single denarii was considered a fair day's wage. And so 6,000 denarii, that's one talent, is basically 20 years worth of wage for one person. It's one talent. So 10,000 talents, are 20 years worth of wages for 10,000 people. Now, now, to give you an, an idea, Solomon, when he was king, he received all of his revenue, about 650 talents a year. Rome, according to Josephus, when Rome collected taxes from Palestine, annually Rome collected about 900 talents. According to 1 Chronicles, when the temple was made, the temple of Solomon with all of its gold and grandeur, 8,000 talents, whole temple. This guy is in hock, 10,000 talents. Now by our standards today, that's anywhere between 200 and 300 billion dollars. And we're so used to national debt numbers, it's not a big thing for us. But at this point especially, this was like all the money in the world. I mean, this was just an astronomical, unimaginable, incalculable number. And so there's, how, my, my goodness, how did he get in hock so deeply? We, we, don't, we don't know, obviously it was mismanagement or corruption of some kind, right? But he's, he's, in, he's in hock huge, 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, which I mean, you don't have 300 billion just laying around, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. This was normal part of the culture. Often prison being sold into slavery was you were debtor's slavery. You, you, you served the other person as a slave until your debt was paid off, then you could go. Now, don't miss what Jesus is saying here about this guy's debt, though. I mean, even if he had 20 lives, he would never be able to pay this debt. He was in debt eternally to the king. An eternal debt that he could never, ever, ever pay. It doesn't matter how much time he had, ever pay off. And you, you look what the king does. Is, Jesus just makes the story a little bit crazier. It says, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything like a fat chance. How are you gonna do that? You know, I got a horse coming in this week. We're gonna make it, it's gonna work. It says, but out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. 
all the money in the world, debt. I can, I'm guessing his apostles are looking at him like, what? what kind of a stupid, where's the story going, Jesus? What is this about? And you, you would think, though, that this guy granted such an incredible release from his debt. Oh, man, that'd be life transforming, wouldn't it? Oh, well, not so, not so much for this guy. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now keep in mind, a denarii is a day's wage, so a hundred denarii, you know, basically quarter of a year's wage, whatever you're gonna associate with that, $10,000, $15,000. This is not a nickel that he owed him. Could you, could you just up and forgive somebody $15,000? I mean, it's pretty substantial. This is a significant hurt that this guy was, was dealt. But he owes him 100 denarii, and so seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. These are the exact same words that he himself had used earlier with the king. And you would think this guy would be like a deja vu thing, right? Oh, I've been here before. I, no, no, he... he forgets he's got a short memory with that it says he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt and when his fellow servants saw that what had taken place they were greatly distressed now can I just hit the pause button for just a second because this side point but when we choose to not forgive we got to know that other people see that our children see that our colleagues see that, our neighbors see that, and it is nothing compelling about that at all. It creates an incredible amount of discontinuity inside. When we choose to not forgive, other folk know it. And it injects a toxicity and a poison into, into others. But, but it says when they saw this, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. They went and told on this guy, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, or the word, I can think, NIV, at least NIV 1984, torturers, until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This, this, this week I wrestled with these last two verses in, in this regard. You know, you could spend the entire message just on these two verses and perhaps sometimes we should because this is a difficult saying of Jesus, isn't it? You look at this and go, well, is seems to say my salvation is dependent on whether I forgive anybody or not. And, and what if I forgive person A and so now I'm safe, but person B comes along and I can't forgive person B, so I lose my salvation. And then person C comes around and I forgive him or her, but then person D does something and oh, I could never forgive that, and so I lose it again. But then person E comes around and I gain it again because I forgive him. On and on and on, or worse yet, you forgive person A, and you forgive person B, and you forgive C, and you forgive D, all the way to the end. But then last moments of your life, 
person Z walks in the room and they do something stupid and you can't forgive them and then you die, you forfeit everything. Is this what it's saying? There's, there's, a, there's a, a whole lot we could, we could go here with this, but, but let me mention that. No, it's not what it's saying. Stick with me though, because um, I don't want to take the teeth out of this one. There, there's a rule in hermeneutics when you interpret scripture that says that no doctrine can be considered biblical until it takes into account all of what the Bible says. And so if a preacher or a guy on the podcast or an author or a person on the radio reads a verse and says, therefore, a good question that needs to be ringing in the back of all our minds is, I wonder what else the Bible says about this. I mean, he may be right, but still, I wonder what else the Bible says about this. And when we look at this concept of, of, of forgiveness, we look at all of what scripture says, we recognize the Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. And Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, even forgiving folk, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. Not, oh, and by the way, you gotta forgive. There is a unpardonable sin. This lack of forgive, forgiveness is not it. So what is Jesus saying? And, and please, please discern, stay with me because we don't wanna take the, the, the bite out of what Jesus is saying. Incredibly important to Christ. I believe what he's saying is this. The surest sign that you have, that you are a forgiven person is if you are a forgiving person. The, the surest sign that you have been forgiven is if you are for, forgiving. In, in other words, when we understand the debt, the incredible debt that he has forgiven us, then certainly we're going to be able to reflect our Father and, and forgive as well. Now, let's, let's, let's keep rolling with this. What exactly is forgiveness? It's kind of critical as we look at this text. And notice what it's not. That will help us first. First of all, notice that it is not berating the person. The king does not say, well, I'm going to get around and forgiving him in a second. But before I do, I'm pulling out, pulling out the verbal whips and scorpions and I'm going to let this person know how much they hurt me and how much they cost me and how does he think I'm going to pay back 300 billion and he has cost me everything and I'm just going to let him know what a stupid, insensitive wrong and then, then of course I'll forgive him but I'm going to do that first. He doesn't do this, does he? Doesn't put him on a payment plan, doesn't put him on probation, okay, okay, I'll forgive you this time. But next time, he erases his debt. Forgiveness, the text is not words, right? Johnny, uh, say you're sorry. You're sorry. No, 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 no. It's not words. It go, look at in verse 35. He says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, for forgiveness is not a feeling. Now, we say this from your heart, and you know, February 14th is 
coming up real soon, by the way, y'all. Um, and we'll give hearts to each other, and it's usually a mushy-feely sort of thing. But in the, the that's Western world, but in the, the, the Hebrew slash Greek, the, the heart, it incorporated the emotions, but it was really like command central. It was the seat of your volition. It's you put all the stuff through and you processed and you made a choice. And so he's saying forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. You, you might not feel like forgiving. You might not feel very good about this. And this, in all honesty, may be the hardest thing you will ever have to do if you think about it. How hard was it? What did Jesus have to go through to forgive? This may be your hardest battle ever. But as, as, as we recognize, it's not, it's not a feeling. It's a choice to get there. Now, now, this text is fascinating because Jesus could have painted this story in any scenario he wanted to, right? A farmer went out to sow. He could have done anything with that, but he chose an, an accounting principle. And I'm gonna guess that Jesus probably understands this better than the rest of us. And Jesus knew that an accounting principle is something that would help us understand really what forgiveness is at its essence. And if you think this through, when somebody has hurt us, they basically have stolen something from us, haven't they? They took my reputation. I mean, it's all I had and I didn't do it. And they spread their lies and they whatever and they, they took my reputation. They stole my reputation. They, they stole my, my security. They stole my, my job that should have been my promotion. They, they stole my happiness. They stole my future. They, 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 they stole something of mine. And so what happens is, is we have the books open in our heart. There's a ledger, accounting. There's a ledger. And this person's name is there. And what they have taken from us and how much they owe us is written down in red ink. And the, the, the ledger is open. The books are open in our heart. We know they Owe us and we think somehow we keep those books open and we're gonna we're gonna be able to exact that payment back one way or the other they deserve to have somebody hate them maybe and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do that forgiveness is, is simply closing the account closing the account now now why is this such a big deal for Jesus if this is not salvific, uh, why is this such a big deal for Jesus? Well, a couple of reasons. One is forgiveness reflects him. I mean, that's what, what the whole Bible's about, right? It's what he's about. It's the message that he came to proclaim. It's why he came to die, to buy our forgiveness. Uh, if you did a DNA swab on me and then you did one on my father, you'd find a match because a child should reflect their parent we should reflect our father and and God has forgiveness on every chromosome of, of his of his essence this was Jesus mission listen I'm gonna put out some dots and then we want to connect the dots okay so just follow me for a moment first Peter chapter 4 he says this first Peter 4 above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now look at, notice, the why does he want us to love one another? 
Because love covers a multitude of sins, what do you think that means? That means forgiveness. They're not holding the account open. They're, they're keeping it shut. They're not writing down what the person owes. Love is what does this. Love is not a feeling. Love's a choice. Next verse. He says, talking to, to Christians, he says that love, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. That resentful is translated in some versions. Takes account of wrongs. Love does not take account of wrongs. It doesn't have the books open. Notice the connection. Love does not have books open. And I think, this is the third dot that I think puts them all together. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's not a mushy feeling in our eyes towards one another. That is an action that is so strong that when we bump up against one another, when our brother offends us up to 70 times seven, we forgive. And this is so contrary to the world when they would see us forgiving. That's what is a reflection of God. The Father, Jesus, knows the greatest apologetic, the greatest source of fulfilling the mission is if we love to the point of forgiving. Forgiveness reflects him. Forgiveness also, I think Jesus is very excited about forgiveness, is because forgiveness is obedience. Forgiveness is a command. It's, it's a, we forget this sometimes, but Colossians 3, 13, and we can go to several different places. He's talking about Christ's followers. He says that we're supposed to be bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. I wonder if Paul is thinking about this very parable. This is an imperative. This is not a suggestion. This is a command, and when we decide, for whatever reason, it's too hard and it's gonna be hard, when we decide, I'm not going to forgive, we'll cloak it saying, I can't forgive, we just need to know we're entering into disobedience. At that point, we are doing to God what this other person has done to us. Jesus is interested in us being forgiven people, and I think this is fascinating, because when we forgive, we avoid a satanic trap. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11. Fa fascinating text. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that, because, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs, of his schemes. Is it possible that Satan's schemes is to convince us that we should keep the books open? I'm not inferring that if you're an unforgiving person, you're demon-possessed. But I will say this. If you are knowing, unforgiving, you're not interested in forgiving, that's not an option for you. You may not be demon-possessed, but you may be as close to it as you can be and still be a believer. Satan is not far away, according to scripture, from unforgiveness. And we believe that this is a good thing for us. Satan knows that that toxicity and that venom would destroy us, destroys our witness. There's a fourth reason, I think, though, even here in this text, forgiveness, and there may be many more in scripture, but forgiveness helps us avoid the torturers. We, we see that in verse 
34, even of Matthew 18, it says, and in anger his master delivered him to the torturers or the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Good evangelical Christians will say, it's talking about hell. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure it's talking about hell. I think what he's talking about is if you decide to embrace a lack of forgiveness, I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not going to forgive. If you embrace that, you also embrace the torturers. We cannot compartmentalize our lives and have all these other relationships that are nice and good, but there's this one that, that is filled with, with poison and, and the, 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 the toxins. And what will happen if we have one is it, we're holistic. It will leak out. It will affect Every single relationship, it will affect who you are. You can't be a bitter person over here, but all these other places you're fine. This will make you a, a shell of a believer. You, you can't disobey God in any way, shape, or form and live life the way he meant it to be lived. It's, it's just not, not, not an option. And so you say, okay, that's fine. Well, how can I forgive? Because I've had some big things and and it's not going to be easy and again we've mentioned it's not and let me say this our ability to forgive often is related to the depth of, of the offense the pain and there could be some things that you are stuck you just need to go see somebody to help you through it this may be an issue where we will wrestle with this one and we will deal with it all the way till the time we see Jesus, but we have to be walking towards it. And so, so, so how, do you, how do you do this? I think the first thing you do is you commit to close the account. And I, I say it that way because I've run across enough folk in life who I will not forgive. I am not going to forgive. Have to, it's going to be difficult, got it. But to say, I want to, I don't know how, I want to obey God, and, and Lord, I'm going to try. You're going to have to help me. That's the second point, and that's this. Pray, asking God to give us the strength and ability to close the account. And again, you might have to pray that prayer every single day until we see him face to face. But again, don't, don't, I mean, I would think that if we're praying, God, you're a forgiving God. This is who you are. And you want me to do this. You've commanded me to do this, but, but I'm struggling. Please, would you help me? I'm thinking that's a prayer God wants to answer. Now, key reason why we don't, key reason why we don't is we're afraid that if we close the accounts, somehow the other person off the hook somehow they're getting away with it somehow somebody's not going to hold them accountable now we do this even if we don't even know where the other person is anymore even if the other person's on the other side of the world even if the other person is deceased we still think somehow that the books are open that there's somehow it's going to get back at them forgive closing the account doesn't get the other person off the hook it just gets the hook takes the hook out of your mouth it, it's taking the account and handing it over to a divine collection agency, Romans 12, 19, God, God says this. It says, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And sometimes we think, God's just gonna forgive them, I know that's kind of what he does. 
basically I can't trust God with justice. I have to jump in there. We need to commit to it. We need to pray for strength and releasing the, the account to him. Then the third thing is you need to write a letter of account closure. Okay, I'm gonna get this one from, from uh, scripture, uh, but I don't think it's unbiblical. I've talked with several counselors over the years and they said that uh, often when we do this, you need to write an account closure letter. Uh, I went to a counselor one, po- one point and he had me write an account closure letter. And this is a letter you're not gonna mail, no one else is gonna see it. This is a letter you are writing actually to God. And in this letter you write out what the the ledger says, what they owe you, what they have done to you and how much it costs you. It's hard to forgive somebody for something if you're not really conscious of it. So you write that out. But here's the deal, you can't stop there. Some folk will stop there and if you do, it's gonna do nothing but pour fuel on the fire of bitterness in your heart. You absolutely have to add these next two sentences, sentences that we're gonna put up here. And please know this, if, if, you, if, you, if you don't go down this road, you're really violating the entire text. Our whole text points to this. After you've listed what they've done, after you've listed how they hurt you, you gotta say this, however, remember you're writing this to God, I recognize that I have hurt you deeply. Often I forget that, like the guy in the parable. You love me and I have spurned you. I've spurned your word and your will. In your books, I owed you a great deal. You would have been just to give me what I deserved. Instead, you gave me grace. You sent your son to become my sin and die in my place. You forgave me completely, hence. I choose to forgive so-and-so for all they have done to me from this day forth. I have erased their debt and closing the account and turning it over to you. Then you, of course, you're smart enough folk to realize that once you do that, all the feelings don't go away. You may have to visit this on a regular basis, internally remind yourself, no, no, I'm not thinking on it. Once you start thinking on it, you're pouring fuel back on that fire, that account is closed. That account belongs to God. I'm done with with that. You know, the story's told of the uh, little boy in the orphanage who really, really wanted a family. Just before his eighth birthday, lo and behold, a couple came and and shown interest in him. And, And on his eighth birthday, they brought him home. And so he was so excited, he packed up his few raggy clothes and he packed up his little raggy stuffed animal and put on his old worn out shoes and he went home. And and this couple loved him. They threw a huge welcome to the family party slash birthday party. They invited all the kids in the neighborhood. They gave him new toys and brought him a, a new bike. Then they took all of his, after they bought him new clothes, they took all of his ratty old clothes with and they took him and they, they threw the clothes in the garbage and they said, you will never need these again. And he was beaming. And then the dad did something kind of strange. He, he took the boy's old shoes and went and put those on the mantle and son wasn't sure what that was about. But he'd find out because sure enough, one day he locked horns with the mom. He disobeyed in something or other. And so the dad grabbed the little boy by the arm and marched him down to the fireplace, yanked the shoes off the mantle, stuck them under the kid's nose and said, don't you 
ever forget where you came from, how hopeless your situation was until we reached in and saved you. Don't you ever do this again. Then put their shoes back. And that would be a scenario that kid would go through multiple times, I think. Sometimes it's easy to, to forgive partially, to forgive in lots of ways, but to hang on to the shoes. Forgiveness, real forgiveness is, is throwing those away as well so that we don't forgive mostly but remind them once in a while of the thing they did. We're just hanging, out, hanging on to them. We're ready for that time when we have to let them know how much it cost us and how much it hurt us. At that point, the account is just not closed. It, don't you, you, you think that if forgiveness is such a big deal to Jesus, if it reflects him, if it's, if it's part and parcel for our accomplishing the mission that he's called us to accomplish, don't you think that the surest sign that we are a, a forgiven person is if we are a forgiven, uh, if we are a forgiving per person, don't you think that we should obey to avoid satanic traps and close the account. I'm just wondering, is there any names that have popped up in your mind today as we've talked, any accounts that need to be closed? I want to give you a chance, if you'd bow with me as we take just a moment of silence. And I want to give you the chance in your own heart, if there was a name that, that came forward, don't try to manufacture anything, but Holy Spirit tapping on your heart. Yeah, there's an account open. I'm going to give you the opportunity to at least take those first two steps. Commit. Commit to closing the account, asking God for the strength to do such. Lord, I, I don't have the strength to close this account. But you do. Would you grant that to me? That's a prayer he wants to, wants to answer. Lord, would you, would you remind us, would you remind me of the times when it's, uh, it's when I, when I for, for, forget this, when it's so easy in minor instances even to keep the books open, to keep a tally of how much someone owes us. Would you, would you forgive me? Would you remind us of the incredible debt that we have, that, that you paid you didn't do anything, it did, but it cost you everything to forgive us. May we reflect you, God. May we be sensitive to that in this life, that the world, as they would watch, would recognize that there is a God. He's all about forgiveness. He's real. Pray that you would remind us of that even this week in the name of Jesus. Amen. And would you stand for the, for the benediction? Benediction comes from Hebrews chapter 13. Listen to the words here. He says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you might do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Have a good day. Be safe.